Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to Wellness with Liz Earle. And it's our Christmas podcast special. Now, if you are listening to me over the festive season at the time of our original recording, I do hope that you are having a very happy and jolly time and that you will take a moment now to sit back, relax from the frenzy of it all and prepare to be uplifted and inspired by my very special guest today. I am delighted to be joined by the founder of the not-for-profit charitable organisation Loving Humanity, Amy Peake. And we are just about to hear her most incredible story from the comfort of home county's life to the extreme conditions in refugee camps. Now, Amy founded Loving Humanity after being moved by scenes of these camps during the Syrian refugee crisis. But instead of letting those harrowing images wash over her, as most of us frankly do, let's face it, She looked at those pictures of girls and women in particular and asked, how on earth would I cope if it were me and my daughters? How especially would I manage if I had my period or my baby in need of nappies? And so her organisation and its sanitary saviours was born. Amy, welcome. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) It's so nice to have you here because we have had a connection now for several years through my charity, Live Twice. And I know your brother, so I remember, you know, hearing about you in the very early days when I got an email from him saying, my sister's going to start this thing and, you know, she'd love a bit of help or whatever along the way. And I just thought, what an inspiring person to do this. So I'm so looking forward to hearing so much more about it. But let's just talk about you to start with, because you are, you were a mum, you were, you were a Pilates teacher. What's your background in life? You're, you're, you're not a refugee crisis expert, are you? No, not at all. No, no, no. Gosh, very ignorant in that field. Um, I started out life studying law mm-hmm. and um, I discovered very quickly that that wasn't me. Um, but I loved being physical and I loved health and wellness. So I became a personal trainer. Gosh, and, that's a big switch. Yeah, big switch. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, that led to teaching Pilates. Right. Um, and it was at that time that I got married and and had three girls and moved to Cornwall moved to to Cornwall yeah Yeah, we moved from London to Wiltshire to Cornwall right so you you stepped out and out (laughs) yes and now back again to Bath (laughs) right oh excellent yeah and so your little girls are how old they're now 14 12 and 9 right so quite a handful as well yeah yeah and so was it just literally as I described you know we're going back to 2014 yeah and 
I think we can probably all remember those pictures and that if you haven't or need refreshing, there are some extraordinary pictures of the refugees um, on Amy's Loving Humanity website. Literally hundreds of thousands of people just trekking through the most dire conditions to, to live in camps, in tents, totally displaced, no possessions, no belongings, nothing. Mm. What, what first went through your mind when you first saw that? Do you remember that moment when you had that kind of light bulb moment? Yes, I mean, I was actually sitting in my doctor's surgery in Cornwall, waiting for an appointment, and I picked up a magazine, like we all do, and I saw a, a really horrific photograph of 18,000 people queuing for bread in Damascus. And in the foreground of the picture was a woman. And I, I was just struck in that moment of, what if that was me? Mm. And in this image, the streets, all of the buildings were completely bombed out and looked as if they were about to topple in on this huge, huge crowd. And I, I was terrified for her and, and thoughts went through my head like, what if I was there alone with my children? Mm. Where would I get food and water and where would I sleep? And then my mind went to, oh my goodness, where's a tube of germaline or lavender oil when I need it to look oh, after gosh. my children? Yeah. Yes. And then um, I thought, where, where do I go to the loo and what do I do if I have a period? Yeah. So then what? I mean, it's one thing to sit there and to have these, this great empathy for our, our fellow man or fellow woman. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing around that time of this extraordinary Indian guy who was being picked up on BBC Radio talking about how he was being ostracised from his society for, for daring to make a sanitary towel-making machine yeah. and give it to the women in his community and, and teach them. Yeah. Was that a similar time? Were you sort of putting two and two together here? No, it was absolutely at the same moment. So I was in the doctor's surgery. I was terribly upset by what I'd seen and went home and said to my, my husband Tom that I'd just seen this horrific photograph and it literally as you say he clicked on his computer screen and said had I seen this story about an Indian man who'd made this incredible machine <laughs> and it was in that moment I was like that machine should be in that camp should be in the camp so then okay so you've got the idea yeah you've seen somebody who's done it in India yeah you're in Cornwall yeah what what happened what was your next step um, I started doing lots of research. I tried to talk to organisations about what they gave to girls and women when they were refugees. And what did um, they say? They didn't talk to me. Oh, I was, um, yeah, single female, single person, who are you with? Which organisation do you work for? I was like, I'm 40. Can I, can I not do anything, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that pushed me on to looking online. And eventually I found reports published by Oxfam saying that there was a huge crisis. There were, at that stage, 10 million displaced people. So if we just do the maths and say 5 million are women, yeah. how on earth could anyone supply 5 million women with sanitary pads? I mean, that must be a million. That's a million a month, over a million a month, yeah, every I'm, month. Yeah. I mean, it's an ongoing problem. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So once I had had my fears confirmed online, so to speak, um, a friend of mine told me to get on an aeroplane. So um, to go where? Uh, I flew to Jordan. Um, just, to, just like just as you do, you just literally. Really it was kind of have, have a plane. Yeah, it, it was. It was on it your was, own. Yes, it was a moment of um, well, if I don't, how do I live with myself? You know, all I've got to do is sit on a very cushy aeroplane and go and see if I can find a partner on the ground to do this. Or I can stay at home and really not live with myself when I can see that there is potentially a solution to this problem. Um, yeah. So what happened? So you land in Jordan. <laughs> I landed with, in with Jordan your with my suitcase. And also um, about 40 kilograms of baby grows, which I collected. And online I found a woman called Catherine Ashcroft who worked alongside an American organisation over there. 
and um, she she put me in touch with them and and through them I went to Zatari refugee camp which is eight kilometers south of the Syrian border right in the north of Jordan and there for the first time in six months I actually got to sit in a room with 20 30 women and, and say how is it mm. what's going on for you and that was a very moving conversation oh, to good. have and exciting in a weird and twisted way because it was such a privilege to be able to, to ask them firsthand and yet mm. what an awful way to have to meet people yes if you're with me yes um so i i talked with them about actually if they had enough sanitary towels what was the quality of them sitting next to me was a young woman who must have been 20 something on her third baby and i said how did you give birth and she said well i just screamed and my neighbor came and helped me and and so the reality of life became very real and and you know they told me that if they didn't have sanitary pads they'd use rags they'd get infections they then have to use the very small amount of money they received from the UN to go outside the camp to get medication so it was like a vicious circle mm, sure and so armed with that knowledge what did you then think you could even possibly hope to achieve I came back to the UK um, and I forgot to buy a visa, but then I quickly bought a visa and flew to India. <laughs> uh, and um, previously, I'd been in touch with Mr. Maruga, who'd invented the low-cost sanitary towel machine, and he was very difficult to communicate with, hence why I just got on another aeroplane, thinking this isn't going to work unless you we just sit face-to-face. Face, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I spent three days with him, and I learned about how his machine worked. I made sanitary towels. So how does it work then? Talk us through it. What, what does it um, look like? Well, it's actually several different pieces of machinery. Um, his machine, he, he, he built himself in a garage, so it was quite crude. Um, but the first piece is, is a mill, or a, it looks more like a kitchen blender to you and I, mm. um, which you put wood pulp into, which looks like thick blotting paper. And when it goes round in the mill, it comes out and looks like cotton wool. And then from there, you build it up in a, in a, in a mould. You compress it with a machine that literally is like a stamper. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, you seal the pad in a sort of tissue-like or gauze material. Mm -hmm. um, and then you glued the, the, t the paper on the back. And then it went into um, bags for sealing. Gosh, so, and so, I mean, this actually all sounds quite eco. So you're, you're not stuffing them full of plastic either. Well, the... the Historically, the main um, core of a sanitary pad is, is made of wood, is made of trees. Is it? Yeah. And um, nowadays, with our ultra-thin technology, it's similar, but they also put a super-absorbent polymer in there as well. Mm. So as much as it's, they are generally, apart from the wood, it's generally oil-based products. But um, another couple in India who I actually bought from have... Um, invented a sort of large flower pot which is an incinerator so people in Indian villages can then burn their pads and scatter the ashes on their on their ground right so what almost like a compost exactly or a sort of yeah exactly gosh yeah. isn't that amazing yeah well in, in India originally which was so I mean it's so sad what women go through they um, wouldn't use sanitary pads because they were so terrified that the dogs would dig them up and walk around with you know, bloody pads in their mouth. So it actually stopped them using them. So how did, what's his name, the, the, the guy who Mr. Made, Maruga. Mr. Maruga. So yeah. what was his story? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening will be fascinated by this and maybe well, missed it first time Yeah, around. well, he, his, his journey started out with marriage. And, and very quickly he noticed his wife sort of scuttling around the house hiding dirty, dirty rags. And he said, well, why don't you go out and buy a sanitary pad? And she said, well, if I buy a sanitary pad, we don't drink, we don't drink milk. Nice. And, and he, hadn't, 
he, I don't think he actually even knew about menstruation. I mean, mm. he was very ignorant, I think, like a lot of Indian men or, yeah. or men in, in developing countries. Yes. And um, so, th so he started to look into how to make a sanitary pad. And his journey took him to the places of, of wearing a football down his trousers full of goat's blood and a pipe through to his crotch so that he could actually <laughs> physically experience a period because no one would test his pads for him because that was just like the sickest thing in no. their cu culture. And that's why eventually everybody, you know, left him because, you know, in India there are so many taboos around menstruation. The thought that a man would even ask about it let alone say can I have back your dirty pads so I can see if my pads work was oh beyond oh. comprehension gosh when you put it like that you can really see the challenges yeah you, in, in that society and of so many developing countries Absolutely. I, mean, I imagine it would be the same I work a lot in East Africa I imagine it would be yeah you know very similar over there as well so he managed to to get this going and I know he did get the oxygen of publicity from from BBC and people were very supportive and yeah. how has that gone for him well, he became very famous and um, loads of people tried to buy his machines and his raw material. And his machines are now in probably over 23 states in India. And he's transformed the lives of thousands and thousands of women. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, not, you know, not only does he allow poor women to have access to pads, but he allows them to make a small income. Some of these women have never worked culturally, again, not accepted in some cult, you know, in some in streams of society to work. So these women were bringing home money. One of the units that I visited in a very rural um, area, these women weren't allowed to cross their street or to leave the street that they lived in. And to just put the machine in, in the village, um, Swati, this other lady who made machines, had to have five meetings with the village elders. And then eventually the husbands agreed they could cross their street to work. So the women have to stay literally at home? Literally, or within their street. And so Gosh, the, that is like a, such a confinement. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's all the time. That's oh, life. Yeah, oh my yeah. Goodness. So the so the husband said, okay, you can cross the street and work in this building, and that was acceptable. And then the husbands started seeing the money coming in, mm. and so they got excited and happy with their women. And then the women started sweeping the streets outside their little unit and outside their house, and they started to take pride in their work and in mm. their life. Mm. And do you know what happened? The children stopped getting sick. Gosh, so it's one little ripple, isn't it? You throw a pebble into the water and the ripples that come from that are just so extraordinary. And hopefully there'll be more education and maybe the boundaries will be relaxed a bit. And, totally. And, and of course, talking about girls there um, and the access to education for children, I know that a big issue in developing countries is access to education for girls because for one week out of four, they miss school yeah. because they don't have any sanitary protection. So I've seen girls in East Africa where they'll just literally sit on a pot for mm. a week mm. in their little hut, mm. um, in a corner, kind of shameful, mm. you know, hidden away. Nobody will talk about it. Boys aren't allowed to touch them. Other family members, you know, mustn't talk to them. And so to have that freedom, as you say, it's such a win-win, isn't it? It's yeah. health, it's hygiene, it's basic human dignity, it's providing an income and all these other yeah. re it's amazing. Then that, it that is come amazing. from it. So there you are. So you're in India. You've obviously been completely inspired Yes. Um, by, is he called the Padman? The Padman. The Padman. <laughs> and did you say he's, they're making a film about him now? They, they've just, re they, ha they made a film about him a few years ago and then they've just done a Bollywood film called The Padman about him. A Bollywood, right. Yeah, the first one, I think he was called Menstrual Man and then the second one, I think, was called The Padman. Yeah. I think Padman is, yes, is possibly going to go down better, isn't it? So you, you, you met the Padman and yeah. so you got back 
back on the plane yeah back to UK yeah and then what I mean did, did the pad man say I can supply you with machines or, or how, how did that work yeah I mean he he was amazingly gracious and kind to me I imagine um, he gets inquiries from all over the world oh I mean he? when I was there people would travel for days in India to come and meet him and yeah. he was dealing with organizations everywhere sadly um, his figures didn't add up for me so that was quite confronting. Mm. Um, I had to find my own source of raw material and it was terribly difficult to do that. And eventually an American woman found me and said, had I heard of this other couple called Swati and Sham Bedeker who'd also made a machine. And I said, no, I hadn't heard of them, got back on another airplane, went back to Western India to Gujarat and spent the most incredible week working with, with Swati. Um, and what was different about the way they were doing things? Well, they, they had um, in, included a, a sanitary pad with wings, which mm. um, was very attractive to women. Um, it wasn't necessarily the best innovation in terms of manufacturing, but it certainly was uh, a more attractive prospect. Mm -hmm. So I went to work with them, and, um, and that really was eye-opening, because not only was I actually with another woman for a week but we visited these other factories little factories that they'd set up and I really really got to see firsthand the reality of periods in India in a culture where you are so filthy when you bleed it's untrue mm. and um what well, not physically but not you're, physically you're, you're, you're considered filthy you're considered. absolutely I mean it's the first time in my life after that week that I felt dirty Gosh. and I I hated that feeling um and yeah, I mean, you are cursed by God. It's the blood of God. You can't cook, as you say, you have to be excluded from family life. You are made to feel pretty small. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty Will that shocking. Change, do you think? Do you see any sign of that changing through these developments now? I, I do. I mean, when I came back, I wanted to start um, a social media campaign and I kind of was a bit busy to do that. Yeah. But in the meantime, so many organizations and other women have started these movements to say there is no shame around menstruation. Mm. And I think in the West, it's having a real impact. I think for it to start changing the culture in places like India and Africa, it will take more time. It will take time. But the I, fact yeah. that Western yeah. women are talking about it and we're yeah. standing up is it's how things change. Yes. Of course, something that we just take for granted as, as yeah. not being a taboo and not, not being an issue. And I think we've become a lot more open about it. And hopefully that will spread. But often these things are, will take a generation. I mean, and, I mean, luckily in a developing country, that's often less than 20 years because yeah. right. you know, the girls are having children you know, very much younger. Yeah. But it, it can take that time, can't it, to educate, particularly the men, the men folk and the Absolutely. elders of the community. But you know what, you say that. Um, in India when I was there, I discovered that um, the reason why women can't go out when they're, when they're bleeding is because if you take a handbag let's say to a wedding in India it's everybody's right it seems to go through the handbag and if you've got a sanitary pad in your handbag you just simply can't be there yeah. so people don't go out you see that's extraordinary I mean I, mean, I would I'm... never go through your handbag <laughs> thank you very much normally yours and it's that bit of local knowledge which often puts the piece into the jigsaw, yeah. doesn't it, when you're working? It's like, why can't you just hide it? And the answer yes. is, there is no hiding. There is no hiding. Yeah. What about things like tampons? Mm -hmm. Would that be unacceptable to kind of insert something? Does it yeah, in, in the Middle East, in, in Islam, it's it's what they call haram. So you, you can't, according to their beliefs, insert anything into the vagina. Um, in India, I think it's pretty similar. Mm -hmm. um, in some parts of Africa, people are using moon 
own cups now. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. They're the sort of plastic cups that are, you can wash out yes, and, and reuse. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they're incredible invention, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it just depends on the culture that you're working in. Mm -hmm. And for me, as long as there is a solution, yes. it doesn't matter what solution yeah. there it is. And also with moon cups, you do need to have hygiene. So you need to have access to clean water. Absolutely. For, for and so and I think you're supposed cups. to boil them as well. Well, that's going to be tricky, isn't it? Yeah. In, in a refugee yeah. camp. So you have got, you're armed with fresh knowledge. Yeah, fresh uh, knowledge. And fresh information. Yeah. How then did you go about getting getting on the ground, literally, in, in yeah. the camps in, in and around Syria? So um, what happened next was, after I'd actually found a machine that I could buy and the raw material was affordable, um, I flew back to Jordan um, and worked then with U UNHCR for a week. And who are they? Uh, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. Right. They ran the refugee camp. They they run a lot of the refugee camps. Were well, they a bit more helpful this time? Brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Abs <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, there was a wonderful woman called Irene who's currently the camp manager now, and she was the community officer when I was there. And um, we 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 met with different age groups of women. So why weren't they doing it? Money. Right. I they mean, were. Did, they, did, did no, they have a budget? That, for that, that's towels? not. That's not fair. They were when at the beginning they were providing sanitary towels. Basically, UNHCR was like a piggy bank, and they gave the money to the Norwegian Refugee Council, who mm -hmm. ended up, um, I ended up being partners with them, and and the the NRC as they're called distributed sanitary pads, but there were never enough. Right. And the quality was so bad and is so bad that the blood goes onto the top layer of the sanitary pad uh, and the blood goes round the sanitary pad and into oh, the underwear. For heaven's sake. And, yeah. and it's quite plasticky. So right. we're talking about 40 degrees heat and the infections are caused and it wasn't ideal. So the idea no. for me at that stage was to provide more mm -hmm. um, so girls wouldn't have to either have these poor quality pads or go without. Mm. Um, so I worked with Irene and her her staff to discover, you know, what, what the women wanted and if they ca could have their ideal pad, what that would look like. Mm -hmm. Well, in reality, that's actually 35 centimetres long and 12 centimetres wide, which is more like a tabletop. No. Yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. So actually, we redesigned part of the machinery in order to take care of their needs. So why? Is it because they're having to wear it for longer? The, or, I, I think... Um, without cultural with a, thing, they, they bleed heavier, as I as I sort of um, understand through conversations that I've had with women. Mm. They tend to bleed very heavily and they don't necessarily have the confidence in the ultra-thin technologies that we have. And if you bleed yes. very heavily, you're kind of like, I can't possibly use what looks like a piece of paper. Yes, sure. Um, so I worked with UNHCR for a week and it was during that time that Irene told me that the biggest problem in the camp was incontinence. And I said, what on earth do you mean? Well, So that must have just come it, out of the blue. It was totally it? out of the blue. And, and actually what she was meaning was at that stage, the elderly and disabled had no nappies, which was very shocking. I met a man who was 115. 115? Yeah, the oldest man in the camp. And his daughter, who ended up working for us, pulled back his bedclothes to show me what he was wearing. And he was literally wearing a loincloth. And she was crying, saying, yeah. please, will you help us? Please, can you come? So my idea was to make large pads, like I've described, really, mm -hmm. that, that you could use as incontinence pads. But then I suggested to Irene that we make a waterproof pant, a washable nappy, that we could then use around the pad to prevent any leaking. Right. 
for adults for, for adults for so our nappies mm-hmm. actually were always intended for the elderly and the disabled mm-hmm. but the biggest problem which was just so heartbreaking was that there were huge numbers of traumatized bedwetting children huge numbers uh, so much so that the parents were struggling to keep their children clean and dry and so neglect was setting in and this is why Irene said this is serious oh, you just you just don't realize it do you no. you think of one thing and you think yeah. well that's quite straightforward yes having periods yeah I can cope with that and then you go and then you start this this ball of string starts to unravel yeah and you think my goodness yeah a heartbreaking and I of had... course traumatized children bedwet I mean all of us who've who've had children would have gone through phases of unsettled you know starting a new school or you yeah. know whatever it is and, and that that can be a trigger for so many but can you imagine having to move into a displacement camp and and all that that involves and and how your five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve year old yeah. is going to cope with that yeah awful Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So now there's hopefully a little bit of light at the end of the yes. tunnel now you are are you actively making all these things how, how is it working over there well from from that point I flew to Turkey to meet the man who manufactured all the materials to make washable nappies so the next stage was we we then shipped a container from Turkey literally like a factory in the box with all the materials to make washable nappies sort of velcro elastic labels everything and in fact it was a company in Wales called Little Lamb who mm. who gave me so much um, help and knowledge and introduced me to their supplier in How Turkey. Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. I mean, name. really Great. gracious. And um, we, the, our, our container from Turkey arrived in Jordan in April 2016. And at that stage, UNHCR then chose 
um, 15 of the most vulnerable women in the camp to work in the factory and they taught them how to sew and then to, to make our nappies. And it actually became the first um, UNHCR protection programme for women in the world. Um, oh, which was Amy, amazing. You must be so proud. Well, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I try not to let my ego get involved. But I was like, yeah, yeah. I think you're allowed a, just a small high five. I think with that one. So, yeah, so, so, that, so that was the first. So then, yeah. how did it progress from there? Um, in November 2016, our machines arrived from India. Our sanitary towel making machines. Mm-hmm. In December 2016, our factory opened. So we moved in all. Was our, that on the edge of the camp? Actually, in the camp, it, it actually looked more like. Um, the bit we were in, it was like in a compound with six foot high barbed wire everywhere because it used to be the old gas distribution centre for the camp. All the old Cali gas bottles were there. Right. And um, we um, we opened uh, the, the nappy factory in, in December 2016. We, we moved all our sewing machines and overlockers in there, all the mm-hmm. sanitary pads, materials and machines, and, and we sort of went into production. And then who do, how do the women get paid I mean do they is this paid work is it voluntary what how, how do the financials work um, so do they make products that are then sold or in in in, um, in in the camp um, the people are allowed to work and they call it cash for works so UNHCR paid them a wage for working for us mm-hmm. um, and then the idea was that anything they made would be distributed freely right and what is the situation now in Zatari is is the camp still there and is this still this situation very much ongoing? Because we only tend to hear about these crises when they are new and fresh yeah. and, and we get the extraordinary visuals that come from it. But yeah. presumably they don't just melt away. They are still there. Yeah, very much so. Um, at the beginning of the war, there were 140,000 people in Zatari. There are now 80,000 people. Um, the border between Syria and Jordan has just reopened and there is the possibility of the refugees to go home. But everything's so destroyed that mm. many of them are staying all the women who worked for me are staying because mm-hmm. they're single they've got children and it, they're just too vulnerable to go back and what they're single because their husbands have been killed fighting yeah or... some of them have been killed some of them were widows before the war one of the one of the women um her husband was captured by Assad five years ago and tortured and has now disappeared mm. um yeah tragic yeah tragic um so there are eighty thousand people it's now the fourth largest city in jordan um it will stay there um in like the camp will develop it into its own absolutely i mean now that their their shelter has upgraded from tents to sort of um containers sandwich panel containers and they've got um they're creating a sewage system there are roads in the camp a lot of them have um you know, there's Wi-Fi available or they come to the base camp to collect Gosh, Wi-Fi. And yeah. yeah, so people will probably spend the rest of their lives there. And your plans are what? To have more machines, more equipment? What's, what's well, the future look like for you and loving humanity? Well, th- things were, were difficult ultimately. You know, you never know where your challenges are going to come from. Mm, that's and, true. <laughs> and mine... Um, was working with UNHCR. Um, that as an organisation, they are so huge that they cannot move quickly. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, they told me they didn't want our nappies to cause harm. To me, a nappy can only cause harm if it's not taken off a child when it's dirty. Mm. Um, and they basically weren't distributing our nappies. And it got to the stage where the Norwegian Refugee Council said, we can't carry on supporting this work because your products are not being distributed. So... In March this year, our factory closed. 
And believe it or not, as fate would have it, today our factory is on a lorry <laughs> going from Sattery refugee camp down to Amman, the capital city of Jordan, um, where I have found another location for it in a large compound of a Roman Catholic church in, in uh, Amman. And this gorgeous, twinkly priest said to me a few weeks ago, and this, Amy, this room is for you. Um, How fabulous. So yeah. you'll be able to continue making. Absolutely. And then what about the distribution? What about well, the, the I mean, help for this, the women? Yeah, this is very exciting for me because actually now, as much as it's a huge challenge to sort of start again, mm. um, I'm in a position that I would have wanted to be in four years ago, which is free. Right. And um, when I was in Jordan about three weeks ago, I met um, three different churches. Mm -hmm. One church distributes a thousand hygiene kits every month to refugees. So the idea is that we will supply nappies to them. Right, and they'll get it into the camps that way or to, or we to, or we to wherever it's needed. Yeah, we'll actually work outside the camps from now on. Right, um, right. Simply because we don't then get involved with politics. Oh, I see. So you can actually supply the people without totally. actually being based within the camp. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, politics, flipping politics. It just gets in the politics. way of everything, doesn't it? And you just yeah. have to then find a way around yeah. it. So the yeah. very people that you need to help and protect actually have, have that. So tell me, what goes into the sanitary pack? What goes into the emergency pack that you'll be providing? Um, well, we're just going to um, provide washable nappies mm -hmm. um, for the Syrians who are, um, go to this church to get aid. Mm -hmm. um, and th those will probably be larger nappies for bedwetting children and for the disabled. Right. The, the young babies, little babies, are actually in their pack already given pampers. Right. Okay. Um, so, so that's what we'll provide there. Um, I, I, I chose not to carry on making the sanitary pads mm -hmm. and using that machine because the whole process um, was a massive learning curve. And in the camp, the idea was that it would um, boost what the refugees got. Outside of the camp, the demand is enormous. Mm. And so um, my intention now is either to ship sanitary towels from Sweden, where I have a friend who's a manufacturer, to Jordan and distribute them or yeah. to buy in country where I think there possibly is a, a sanitary town manufacturer and um, that you can work with and, yes. and, and get them into the camp yes. so the women will continue to be provided for yes I mean the, the ones who I plan to help now don't get anything mm. in fact the other day I was there with um, a journalist working for the BBC and uh, she was interviewing this woman and in public and around her friends she said oh of course you know I buy a sanitary towel for myself and my daughter well when the journalist took her off to interview her she broke down in tears saying I can't possibly afford sanitary towels I don't know why my friends are saying they can and she was distraught so how are they going to be helped in the future then uh by the grace of God and by people giving me money <laughs> So, you, they, so we give money to you, yeah. and what will you do with that to help those, those well, women? Well, in, in, in this instance, um, I'll either buy in-house or in-country or from Sweden, mm -hmm. and then I'll distribute the pads through those, the, right. through those churches. Yeah. And the, the, the crazy thing is that UNHCR know that there are huge numbers, I mean thousands of refugees in these parishes, and they can't give any money because there is no money. It's not a lack of willingness to help. They're, and, and they're in this sort of mindset of, well, at least you're under the umbrella of a church, even though the church has no money to help them. Right. So it, it is heartbreaking. Yeah, but you're really going to carry on and you're going to carry on trying to buck the system to get the machines, to get the ability, to get the resources, to get the, the products to the women in some way. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's very exciting 
to be able to be free to do that. But the um, free of the UN, yeah, free of the UN, mm. and I and I don't mean that disrespectfully, and because the people I work with were lovely, mm-hmm. I'm afraid it's the system that sure. they're in that makes it so difficult for I have, them. I have seen that firsthand in in Africa as well, and. Yeah. So I, I, I can sympathize. Painful, painful. Really hard. But what I love, and, and you, I mean, I don't know where your name, I mean, Loving Humanity is a great name and it's a very obvious name, but you really are putting the humanity back. And I think small-scale organisations are so perfectly placed to do that. The humanity can often get so lost in big organisations because you just become this huge global giant um, with committees and report-making and accountability. You know, rightly so. But the bottom line is loving humanity isn't it and and working one-to-one woman-to-woman yeah I mean the women who worked for me the one of the first days that they worked for me I um I took my iPhone and I videoed them and I taught them how to say their name in English and so I have 15 videos of women saying my name is Howler my name my name is Woofa oh my goodness my name is Fatima gone all tingly because these are human stories they're humans and we forget that they're like Liz and they're like Amy and they're like Ellie we forget this and you know I mean it brings tears to my eyes yeah I mean, they're my friends. I have a WhatsApp group with people in a refugee camp. Do you really? We send emojis all the time. Oh, Amy, <laughs> that is so we do. wonderful. We do. Now, how can my lovely listeners get involved? Because I know that this will have warmed many hearts and inspired many to think, well, maybe I can't stop what I'm doing and go and jump on a plane like you, but mm-hmm. the least I can do is give you some support. So what, what can we do to help? Well, um, if I can just add a little bit of the story. Mm, please. Um, after... When when we set up the sanitary towel factory in Jordan, very quickly I realised that it wasn't as perfect as it needed to be. And after the BBC told their story the first time, hundreds of people all over the world got in touch with me saying, please, will you help me set up a factory in my country for my community? Because as you said, when girls start menstruating, they don't go to school. Mm. And that's unacceptable to me. So uh, I thought I'll connect these people with India and they can get machines. Well, sadly, India couldn't meet that demand and in the process of redesigning the machine for those huge pads I was telling you about I went to a trade show in in um, Switzerland and I started to collate my own suppliers of raw material and machinery in September this year I set up a little factory outside Bath I've as now, you do. as you do, I've now <laughs> um, analysed the manufacturing process with a lovely man called Tony who's been working with me mm. and um, I then shipped all these materials to a warehouse in Southampton and we have got the capacity to ship 16 little factories all over the world. Two of them have been sold to Kenya. Oh, fantastic. You and... must tell me where. I'll go and pay them a visit. I'd love to see them. Uh, well, they're still here. Uh, they're about to leave the UK. Great. Um, one's going to go to the slums in Nairobi. Sure. Another one's going to the north yeah. of Kenya. And how people can help is by giving me money so that I can help support partners on the ground, especially mm. in Africa, who are mm. looking to do this. Yeah. They can give me money to help buy me sanitary pads for the Middle East. Yeah. Um, they can give me money to help support the nappy factory, which will reopen. And my lovely workers in the camp are coming down to Amman to, treat, to teach the new workers who are all from Mosul, from Iraq. Right. And, they, and, and so the nappy factory will carry on and I need to cover their... They're not allowed to work legally, so I have to cover some kind of food package or hygiene package that I can give them once a month to, yeah, to compensate mm-hmm. them for their time. 
Gosh, so whatever area yeah. you're interested in working in, you know yeah. what's lovely. You you are covering all of humanity, aren't you? Cradle to grave. You're you're covering the nappies for the newborns, the education for the youngsters, for the yeah. girls, the, yeah. the help and care for the women, the midlife women, um, the incontinence pads for later in life, and yeah. for those who are disabled, less able-bodied, elderly. Yeah, you've got it all covered. Anything to do with bottoms? <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Do you know, I can think yeah. of no better way of, of ending that. I'm, I'm just not sure what to follow that. So I think. Well, do you know what? I I just to have to. I just have to say quickly <laughs> that it's really funny doing what I do because it is all around something which isn't very glamorous, um, <laughs> but it is my expression of love in the world, and mm. I choose to see not what separates us, like skin and skin, skin color and race yes. and religion. I see. I try and choose to see the thing that unites us, and that's yeah. love. Yes. And so it's amazing, you know, when you stand in that place and you meet people from all over the world who have no relation to you in terms of culture or anything, it's a really lovely place to come from. Mm. And there is so much that we share. Amy, Unbelievable. So brilliant. And we will put lots of information on our website so that you know how to get in touch. My charity, Live Twice, is so pleased to continue supporting you. And obviously, we've got lots of information on that and on loving humanity as well. So, well, I just have to you. say, having said that, mm. that it was because of you that I could get the raw material from Europe to Southampton. So oh, thank you. Well, I'm <laughs> delighted, really pleased that we've played a tiny, a tiny link in your chain. So thank you. Thank you. Well, as I did say, all the details and the resources and information that we've talked about today will be over on lizellwellbeing.com. And you can also sign up for our free newsletters, obviously, as well. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app before you switch off. That will mean that you can listen to the next one without even having to think about downloading it. And as this year draws to a close, I would just like to take an extra moment to thank you sincerely for all your support, for your comments across social media, your emails, your enthusiasm. It has just been incredible, actually, to see how this little podcast coming from my magazine studios here in Battersea has gained so much extraordinary popularity. Thank you sincerely for supporting and, importantly, for sharing. I genuinely think this one would be a very good New Year's message to share, don't you? Well, until the next time we chat, a very happy New Year. Go well. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.